Welcome to the Evolution of Parenting. I'm Yorona, an advanced certified life coach, speaker, speaker coach, international speaker, and more. But most importantly for me, I'm a mother. With 17 years in the fields and studies of early childhood development, psychology, and coaching, I've come to the realization that the role of parenting never stops, but it does change. In fact, it has to change. In season one, we explored some foundational themes of parenting. For season two, we'll be exploring various topics with special guests who delve into these topics and these subject matters from their particular perspective, often their expert perspective. And from there, we're going to run into the understanding, the impact around the choices we make as parents regarding these particular issues and what we're enabling or disabling in our children. I hope to tie in some of the foundational themes from season one to highlight a few ways that parents can be more proactive in their approaches and their parenting styles. Remember, parents are creating a part of the future world, and it's time to think about the legacy we're leaving behind and the ripple effects it will have. So let's dive in with our guest for today's episode. Welcome, Kim Groshek. Kim, please tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks for having me. This is awesome. What a great topic. Um, I totally stand for this. So I am known as the pause lady. I am encouraging everyone to take a pause, unplug, and breathe. Now, I know that's simple, but let me take you back to my story so you can kind of see where I came from, what I did, and why I'm doing what I'm doing today. So um, when I was, I'm going to come back to when I was a little girl. This is ironic because um, my dad was a computer scientist and he used to bring us to work and we'd play on the keyboard and we'd have all these digital cards go through. And I just was fascinated with all these cool designs that the, the, the IBM cards could create from my little keyboard. And um, at that time, I didn't realize the, the impact computers would make for me in my life and also our society. But I was still fascinated. I would play with these IBM cards throughout my life. And fast forward, I got into computer science on a fluke. I went to school for many years <laughs> in college, um, but that actually prepped me for what my career was, which is a transformation change agent. And I go into companies and dive into them and, you know, help them kind of get fixed, right? Mergers and acquisitions and so on. And I got into the field just by coming out as an education degree and applying for computers. Now, the reason why I did is because the last year of my college, <laughs> I've got my first computer. And back then, computers, not many people had computers. So I got my first personal computer. And I just loved breaking and fixing Thing, the insides and the outs of the computer. And at that time, I told my husband that I wanted to switch my major. And he said, after eight years, you're just getting your degree. So I got my education degree. And so I applied for all of these jobs in computers. And ironically, my first job was a computer director for a small organization. 
And I learned, so I would just dive in because I was so fascinated by computers. I would learn by doing, they'd send me off to assembler language or some other things like networks and whatever I needed to do. And back then it wasn't categorized by you are this expert. I did everything back then. And I realized, you know, and I had a little girl at the time, she was around three, and I realized that I actually was in bed. I was starting to kind of getting sucked into this computer more than actually spending time with my daughter at three. So I realized at that time that there's, it's easy to get addicted to technology or sucked in, right? We don't use the word addicted, but I think it's easy to do that. Oh, so, I use the word addicted all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Yeah. 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 And I, and it ebbed and flowed. Right. And I'd always stand outside of myself, kind of like, you know, I was, I was taught my daughter as she was growing up, you know, to, you know, look outside of yourself and see yourself so that you can kind of reflect. Right. And I always kind of put this hand out here so that she could have that objective point of view. Cause you have your subjective, which is yourself. And then your objective, which is outside. And I would do that for myself, but there was a time, you know, fast forward where um, I would say 15 years into my career doing amazing stuff. And I've probably been in every single company, higher education, startup, you name it. I could say I've been there, (laughs) but um, I found myself getting up in the morning and, um, you know, diving right into social media. I was in social media when I first started. I mean, I knew these people I've known. I mean, you could name people too. I've worked with a lot of these people that are high profile now. But um, the point is that I would get into this social media, Facebook, right? And all of a sudden, two hours went by and I didn't even realize it. My time was passing me by. So I realized at that moment that I really needed to just disconnect from it to really take ownership of it, of my life. And so I disconnected not only from social media, but I disconnected from my device as well. Now, at the time we already needed it. Like I, I'm in the industry, you know, I have a degree in cognitive science, computer science, right? So I, I'm in the industry, I, I have to use it, but I was able to set up parameters so I could get phone calls through my husband's uh, phone did not have a phone for a whole year, a cell phone, did not have social media. And immediately once I stopped using it, mm-hmm. I got time back. Mm. I started to carve out time in the morning to write just 15 minutes every morning. I said, I want to just do, cause you know, I don't want to do too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to take walks. I started to, you know, feel less stress in the back of my neck. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I had a lot more time. I was spending more time at the coffee house with people rather than I worked remote before remote became popular for many years. Um, So I was able to spend a really lot more time. So I journaled about it and all sorts of things. And, you know, it was kind of cool. And then, you know, fast forward, I decided to kind of semi-retire just about a year ago. And this whole you know, studying or practicing how to speak on stage came up and I got involved in the thought leader community and all this, you know, this, this pause thing kind of kept started showing up and the audience started to respond to it. And I said, Oh, you know, what, what is this? Right. And so then what happened though? So I kind of stepped away from it for a bit and I saw this article only, it was only about four months ago, by the way, 
And it was about a young, very promising man. He was 16 years old. He was a football player and he already had a scholarship from a college, which is real unusual. And he started, he got a girlfriend from through social media and he fell in love with her. And it turned out that he was being fished. I think it is where an older, it was an older man. It wasn't a female and a young man committed suicide. And so at that moment, I said, yeah, enough is enough. So this is when I created a concept where I brought 350 people, 42 experts. You were part of a part of it, building out this five day pause challenge to, you know, just encouraging everyone to take 15 minutes a day. And the experts were there to, you know, to help in any way people could reach out. And it turned out that it was pretty, you know, people responded to it and said, you know, we, we actually learned not to use our device. We learned not to not use social media and, oh my goodness, I got more time back and, oh, there's new ways of doing the pause than just 15 minutes and da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. So that's where this came from. And now I've been out on stages since August, developing a company, developing a movement, developing a framework to get into companies and schools and coaching people to teach them not only how to pause, but also when they get time backs, the compressed time box on getting productivity. And then the biggest thing for me is I've learned this anger no more uh, approach and stress management framework from Dr. Orman. And people just, you know, came to me and, and said, you know, I want to teach you this and I want you to teach leaders so that they can teach their leaders. Mm. And I've been applying it and everything that I do, I like to learn before I, and validate before I teach with everyone. So this is really the, the a mental it's solution, mental health solution, but it really empowers um, individuals and families to heal. Yeah. Because I'm going to go on before I know you're going to ask questions. <laughs> One more thing is, our connections to these devices, no matter what brand it is, yeah. is that I, in doing a lot of these interviews, parents are connecting their kids to the device so that they know where their kids are. And that is actually dis- disabling yes. our kids, not empowering our kids. Yes, 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 yes. I definitely want to hit on that. So I would love to hit on a couple of different things that you mentioned and, um, one is what's very interesting as you were talking about the the and not a lot of people do this not a lot of people go back into history to really understand where how we made it to here and i love delving into history in my book i'm i'm writing a lot about like sort of the evolution of of our parenting models and then our methodologies and i think it's really important to understand the impact it has because oftentimes something comes along, somebody invents something new, and we're like, wow, this is amazing. It's And we immediately see the benefits of the thing. We start to see the potential for so much wonderness. You know, it's so much, so much, oh, wow, we can do this better. We can do this easier. This, And very rarely do we say, hang on, before we go implementing all of it into our regular living and our regular lives, Let's look at what the potential cons of it could be. And what's hard is that it's hard to do that 
when we don't yet know. So I want a lot of people to understand that you can't blame everything on history because we don't know what we don't know until we have enough time to study it. And that's the problem. We can't study something in a bubble. Oftentimes we have to allow it out there. And this tool we have to see, is it going to be a tool for good or is it going to end up becoming a weapon for war or a device that becomes an addiction, which it's true. And I want to heighten that awareness because I do call it an addiction because we now do have enough research to show that devices, especially handheld devices in the hands of our children and adults who have been like living with this device for so long, hit the same centers of the brain as alcohol and drugs. So it is an addiction. And we have to stop trying to skirt that because we're afraid to come to the heart of it. Because it is an addiction. And when you're talking about for people who have a fully formed prefrontal cortex and have a healthy brain and have developed in a healthy way, for even those people to have difficulty putting their device down, well, it doesn't help for people who haven't been developing in a healthy manner, like children who have generational trauma and mental health struggles and various disabilities and whatnot, because now we're giving them something that can make it weaker, can make it worse. So I do want to hit on that because I think that's really important. Um, but I, I want to dive into a little bit about, because you really gave us a great weapon for change. And I hate to say weapon, but the truth is we do need to come at the tool we've been using that's turned into a weapon, especially for our children, um, when we're talking about cyberbullying and we're talking about disconnection from the reality around you and your, your community, your family, your friends, everybody that's in your direct sphere, because you're so overly connected to something else to the point that somebody committed suicide because of this situation that he went through. And this is not an abnormal situation, unfortunately. So now it's become this weapon. So how do we use the pause as a tool for good, a weapon for good to deconstruct the weapon that devices and social media have become? So first of all, I want to say there's a balance. So I I am a computer scientist and I think all of this stuff that's being created is very helpful. There is um again objective point of view that isn't I I believe need there's like is not designed for it yet, which means you know, are there committees that are really designed to to look at really the impacts like you're saying? I think they're starting to now, but um, I, I have been concerned about that for a good 15 years. I've seen it and it's like, okay, how is this going to get done? They need to have like this quality, all these different teams with risk management quality. It's almost like a company, right? And it's already embedded. So I just want to state that first. Um, so, and, and I, and I really want to say that pause, you know, it isn't a weapon. It's really the opportunity to, to dissolve the weaponry that's developing, the, the evil, whatever, the negative stuff, the more negative, right? It's a positive solution. Yes. But I, there is a framework around this. So 
that's really what it is. And, and this is this is nothing really new. This is something that we have lived in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And I'm just putting a word to it, pause, because there is a line where everything is shifting um, over to, you know, always on. I just got done talking to a college student today. And she said, you know, I went, I go swimming in the morning and she works as a manager there at the pool. And she said, I have not slept for 48 hours. And I said, what? And she said, because the demands of me having to take all these classes and the way they're designed, which is very, it's a symmetry to the, our society, right? Everything. Oh, we forgot this. So we got to add it at the end. Right. And you pile it on. And then all the requirements around, oh, we have to have ethics and all these things in there, right? All this stuff that they're required to do now. And then the financial uh, implications to them and they're, you know, manage, managing the doing a job. And the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because they're the ones that need the pause the most, right? Because, and, and what she shared with me is there's this line and she's seeing it, that it's shifting, you know, the, you know, when I was a college student, I, yes, it was very intense and yes, the final exams are a busy time, but I got sleep. Mm-hmm. I wasn't up for 48 hours right? and the financial impacts, I, it wasn't such a burden because there, the front, you know, there were grants and whatever design it was, but, and I worked hard. I were, I had a job too. Right. Mm-hmm. So so, so the lines are shifting. So when I come back to it's nothing new in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, is that all I'm saying is we aren't taking that moment to pause. And when we remind ourselves to say pause, it's a simple word and pausing in many ways, just like, let me pause for a moment to let you reflect on what I just said. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So, um, You know, one of the things that I have been thinking about for a number of years now is that we're beginning to treat humans like machinery. Um, It's something I've been thinking a lot about. I've been thinking a lot about how we're we're speeding, we're we're speeding up, speeding up, speeding up, and we weren't designed to go as fast as devices. It's wonderful that we've designed these things that can go fast, but that doesn't mean we have to try to catch up to them. And my fear is that we're hitting, we're going to hit a wall. Mm -hmm. We're going to hit a wall of absolute, just, um, we're going to crumble. And for me, pausing is so vital because I do find myself there. I find myself going ever faster, ever faster, ever faster. And I find myself exhausted by it. And so, and my husband is the one who often reminds me, you're about to hit a wall. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, he's right. And I have to reflect on that. And so one of the things that I think has happened, especially with our kids, because I want to bring this back to parenting and our kids and how we model this with our children, is that we have forgotten that boredom is a beautiful thing. We have right. forgotten that in in 
in what we call boredom, we look at it as a bad thing. But the truth is boredom is actually an opportunity for the brain to start to play with creativity and imagination. For the brain to say, hmm, I'm bored right now. What can I do? But when you have a device, because it's an immediate gratification, oftentimes, you don't allow your brain to shut down in that moment and start to go internally and say, hmm, what can I do to keep myself occupied here? So, you know, for me, and I want to bring this to our parents because this is important. One of the ways I do that with my son is we never, we, we don't go places with a device in hand. You know, when we're in the car, we're just making conversation. We look at the road. We talk about what's out there. We come up with various games that we can play, you know, just using our imagination to come up with ways to help us. And sometimes we just sit quietly in observation. And I find that in those quiet moments, you can observe things a lot more deeply than devices and social media give you an opportunity to do. Because a lot of what happens in those moments of instant gratification is it's very surface level. All these TikToks, all these things, it's very surface level. There's not a lot of depth in the conversation. So when I pause, it also gives me an opportunity to go deeper deeper with my family, deeper with my son, deeper with my, you know, my loved ones, my friends, and really give us back time, not just to time to ourselves, but time with others. And that is something that I try really hard to reflect on with my family and that I try to, we try to engage our son with. So when, when I see us getting lost in device world, which everybody does, we all struggle with this because again, there's immediate gratification and then there's delayed gratification. And most people at this point over the last 20, 30, 40 years, we haven't been cultivating the delayed gratification. We've been cultivating the immediate gratification. So what I would love to know is because you're a parent and you mentioned that, you know, when, when your daughter was three, you saw yourself being sucked in. What were the ways that you started to course correct? And are there ways people can follow course corrections in a way where they don't have to do cold turkey situation? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so uh, I mean, I appreciate you sharing what you just did because you have been practicing for several months. So look at how, how much you have learned for, through practicing, right? And this is where I support because here's the deal. Um, when I share pause, when someone is new to it, they say, what do I do when I pause? And just what you said is what you do, right? Yeah. So that's so that's one. So what I did with my daughter, though, is I truly, I'm going to just tell you all these concepts I have learned either from my parents mm-hmm. Or from applying in industry, you know, I just built and sharpened my tools, right? That's what we do. And my mom is, is my, she's the one that taught me how to structure my time and to look at myself objectively. And she also taught me um, the responsibility and gave me time. And I think, you know, our, my generation, there was a lot of that though. That's a, that was a very norm. Um, And I'm, I don't know about other parents saying I can validate what they did, what their mom did. But what I can say is my mom was very good at that. And I give her at, she's 82. 
Mm. And I give her compliments every day for what she taught me. Now, that's how I've been able to objectively apply this. So I catch it. Everything that where my daughter is today, I taught all these frameworks to her. So she, cause she has um, borderline ADD. And so um, we chose way back when they diagnosed her at four or five, that she could put structure in her life. This is what my mom taught me. This is what I teach you and support you in. And it is what it's about. So it is truly that you get to empower your kids through structuring their lives, teaching them how it's structured. It's not that you, you know, you do in the beginning, right? It's always when they're little, uh, they always say kind of loosen the leash. I think we kind of have it backwards sometimes where we let it loose when they're three and make decisions that they really shouldn't make at three or four or five or six, right? Or the opposite, some parents who hold the leash, you know, who really... But whatever works for every family is different. However, the point is that there's this leash thing, right? Where you are teaching them these certain tools. And even at 35, my daughter is 35. And this is why I do this, by the way. Everything is for my daughter. Because I want to leave her with a healed healed world surrounding society, right? And with her today. She's at a point where she is you know, she doesn't see it because she's not, she's in subjective right now in her career, doing amazing things and more things that I, I, God, I wish I could be like her when I grow up. Right. (laughs) And so she's doing really cool things in her career, but I can see objectively because I'm outside that she is ready to move into the next level or beyond. And even her partner says this, she goes, well, you and Ben should get in the same room, you know, and talk because you're saying the same thing all the time. And we don't even talk about it together, you know? So, but she's at the point where it is that time where she needs to carve out that time, which is what I do. I help people see this because there are many times you don't even see as a parent that it's happening, that you are not empowering your kids. You are so connected because you love them so much, right? This is why we do this. I get it. Letting go of my daughter at 20 in her 20s was the hardest thing for me. Like letting go of that leash. She's now, I can, I I am so proud of her, right? And she comes home, she'll come home. Oh, mom, I want to spend a day with you. I want to just chat with you. And then she'll work through some, some things, right? So that's the answer to the question. It's really about, you know, putting structure in your home. I think we've gotten away from it. And, and, and the time box helps us with this. It's just another approach, right? That, I mean, I, I'm in a very, if you want to call a chaotic program right now, that's very intense. And we do sprints and I'm sure you've heard of all this stuff, right? Sprints. Yeah. And there are many people that are getting lost in the chaos Mm. and through because I'm using these little 15 minute increments to focus and get results. Right. And now I have time to pause and take walks and go swimming and do the things I love to do and get to know myself again, meditate. Right. Right. And that goes back to what we were saying before is like you lose time when you're so in a thing that absorbs all of your, your energy. And it just, it, it's very draining. This is what I always fear. The drain that, devices with immediate gratification 
it can be extremely draining because you're so sucked into this thing that you don't realize that it's taking energy from you. Mm-hmm. And I I really try to encourage people, especially parents, to not want to be drained at the end of every single day. And it's not a want, right? But I, the amount of times I've heard a parent say to me, I'm so exhausted. And what I don't think that they understand is that exhaustion, aside from being piled on with extra responsibilities and at work and whatnot, is because they're not deliberately choosing to disconnect. And in the disconnect, they get their energy back. In the disconnect, they get their not just their time back, but a re um, what's the right word for it? Regenerated. Regenerated, re-energized. And at first, they don't know what to do with it. And it's a little bit scary and jarring because you're like, wait a second. Um, what do I do with this? You know, <laughs> like, right. and it's funny because it's almost like you're, you're thinking, wait, 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 I shouldn't have this. I shouldn't have this luxury of time. I like to call it the luxury of time. You know, um, it's taking that step off the hamster wheel, but still feeling like you're on the hamster wheel. So you're still feeling that immediate, that dizzy motion. Right. And you're like, and, and you're just trying to readjust to the new and, you know, come back into, into the space of just being. Yeah. And so, so that's where the, the shift comes in. Yeah. Because that teaches an objective way, the should, I heard you say should, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because what happens is you get this space now, and now there's these exercises that I teach that you can then teach your family Mm -hmm. once you master them on how to objectively see your mindset, the stories you're telling yourself, the um, fears that you might, that might pop up. Right. the anger that might come up, all those things that show up, there's an approach. It's real simple, by the way. Everything is real simple. Um, and it's proven that you can catch through, you know, just the the method that you practice. Yeah. And yeah. you realize the triggers that might even dissolve because you get more objective about how you're seeing yourself. Yes. Yes. I love that. And you know what? I want to highlight one last thing too. You mentioned earlier about going into education systems. Mm -hmm. So this is something that is particularly upsetting to me right now. My son is in kindergarten. They're making them learn on a Chromebook. Yeah. Yes. And I, and what's even worse is like the Chromebook has the mouse pad that you have to like adjust and everything. They're still, these are, you know, four and five-year-olds are still working on their fine motor development and you're forcing them into a specific fine motor development movement. Now I come from the world of early childhood development and I understand that the complexities of fine motor development, if you create a a continued pattern of specific fine motor movement, you reduce some of the other functionalities of that fine motor movement. So what I mean by that is like, if you're, if you're a person who's constantly pinching, constantly doing like this, a, a one particular movement all the time, you weaken some of the other components of that movement. So to give kindergartners Chromebooks is something 
and and this perseverates into the education system, right? We think we're preparing them for the real world, but the truth is the real world is extremely dysfunctional with our utilization of technology. So why are we preparing them to be as dysfunctional as we adults are? Right. Why not reconsider that perhaps we have to actually minimize the exposure in school to devices? Right. Because they're already over-maximized at home. So, so you mentioned being going into the school, the education systems, and I'm wondering if you've seen this, if you've addressed this, if you've had any kind of interactions around this. Yeah. So I'm going to say raising my daughter, I have seen this and how I, as a parent took, I empowered myself. I took ownership of this knowing that I can't change the schools. I had a system where I'd go in before my daughter even started each, each year a week before, and I talked to the teacher saying, this is this is Stacy's learning style and da-da-da-da-da, which is a typical thing, right? Every child is different, by the way. We like to group them, but they are different. Yes. And of course, every time that I would have the conversation with each teacher, they were different. They would say, oh, but we have 35 students and da-da-da-da-da. But then what happened was a month into the program, they'd say, oh, I see. Now, what I would do, though, is I would have methods at night with her, filling in the gaps, knowing the gaps, because mm-hmm. I took ownership of that as a parent, because that is my daughter, and it isn't the school's responsibility to do that. And you have other options. That is true. Homeschooling. You can, mm-hmm. whatever, the they have all kinds of great schools out there that are, I looked into some of those, knowing my daughter, the way she learns and everything, and she turned out absolutely fine. In fact, she is probably one of the, I remember in high school, right? I taught her editing way approach and the English senior English teacher mm-hmm. read one of her papers and said that she, whatever you do, you plagiarized it and she didn't oh. she wrote it so well right? She wrote it so well and edited it because we had a method and I taught her the method. Right. Right. Responsibility of that. Right. Right. I knew. So that is the, that is truly. I I agree on that. And I'm also going to push back a little because your daughter's 35 and I'm going to tell you that it's much worse in the system. Yeah. I understand. And, and some people don't have an option. Right. I know yeah, some people don't have an option for homeschooling and yeah. don't have. So I do want to speak to the people who are listening, who are going to be. There like, are also other that. options you can choose. That's what all I'm saying. I said homeschooling because yes. I don't know the, I know like there's Montessori method. There's, there's all kinds of teething and there's also clubs you can get your kids in. So yes, I would say yes, but it's, ownership. it's the ownership of you to take that ownership, to know your child, to know what you need, what they need. My daughter needed balance. She needed musical. She needed extra things outside of school. Yes. Yes. Right. So that's what I wanted. I, I wanted to highlight yeah. that for the people who uh, play a little devil's advocate yeah. for people who are going to be like, I don't have a choice on this. And, that, and, that. and it's true. Like I'm not invalidating either side. You know, I think it's really important to acknowledge that some people don't have a choice because they're working multiple jobs. They can't afford to send them to a school or a different program. So the only thing they really have is, is school and home. So what you said at the beginning there, what I want parents to hear, what Kim said, really important. You take ownership of the time you have with your child because that's the only time you can really 
cultivate the right kind of environment you want them to be in. And then when they go to school, they at least have the tools in their pockets from home to deal with that situation at school and to say, okay, at school, I know I'm going to be pushed into being in front of a computer at all times, but at least at home, I have time away from that. So that's super important to highlight there. I want people to hear that, right? We're not saying, and I personally would like to go into the school systems and help them in the reduction of that time. That's my, that's my agenda, right? But um, as I move forward in that agenda to really change the education system into a much more balanced approach when it comes to technology use, utilization, at the same time, while that's happening, because change takes time, parents hear what Kim is saying. You have a choice here. You do have a choice. You do not have to make it about devices by default in your home, even if they're defaulting in the school. Okay? This is super important. And Kim's power of the pause is vital to helping you regain your control over your own addictions and issues with devices so that you can then not just foster that in your family, but be the example you want to see for them. And I'm here to support you. Here's the deal. This is going into schools. So you hear about this program now, bring it in saying, hey, I heard about this program, reach out to me. I'll bring it in to support you because the schools, there's three schools now already knocking down my door saying, I want this in our schools. If they're doing it, then it's supporting you and doing it right. And you're then now handshaking. So share it with your, if you're in the PTOs, share it in there, share it with other parents, share it with your administration, your teachers, and I'll be there for you to support it. 100%. Thank you so much, Kim. And thank you for your time today. This has been a marvelous conversation where we did a lot of deep diving in. So I want parents to understand that, you know, we get it. If you are feeling overwhelmed, there are a lot of people out there like myself, like Kim, to support you and to help you move in a strategic manner where you don't feel so overwhelmed because support is necessary, right? And on that note, happy parenting people and may the evolution of your parenting skills be ever in your favor. Bye.